0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host.
1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Dr. Haley Fisher-Wright with the Medical Group Management Association Association. MGMA, welcome.
0: Thank you, Lee. I appreciate the invite.
1: Well, I'm so excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about MGMA. How are you serving, folks?
0: We are a 95 year old healthcare association. We're one of the institutional brands up there with the American Medical Association and American Hospital Association. But we represent the business of the medical practice. As an organization, we focus on the care delivered in the medical practice and how to derive business from that. And we touch about half of the healthcare delivered in the United States.
1: So 95 years ago, it probably looked a little different, huh?
0: Yeah, 95 (laughs) years ago when this organization was founded and basically what ended up happening was a group of office managers got together in Wisconsin and decided to share best practices. So it was really more, I think, of a probably men getting together to have a fun weekend than anything else. And that has evolved over 95 years to one of the preeminent healthcare associations in the country.
1: Now, since you're kind of on the front lines of this healthcare situation today, can you share a little bit to the audience about some of the challenges that healthcare is facing? I find I interview business people every day. So healthcare comes up, but it's not always healthcare, it's healthcare insurance. You know, I think there's a conflation between healthcare and healthcare insurance. And maybe you can share some of your thoughts on that.
0: Absolutely. As I mentioned, MGMA is the intersection between business and care. And so when we talk to business leaders in the United States, we're often talking about kind of high-level leaders. Where we intersect is actually at that front line in care. And what we've seen over the past two to three years is really a almost transformation of how businesses practice. And by business, I mean patient comes into a medical practice, We've seen a transformation as far as expectations, what kind of care they received during COVID, the willingness of the patient to come in and receive care, especially after two years of a global pandemic. And then the other thing that we're seeing on the business end is our staff, meaning our frontline staff, our back office staff are exhausted, and our providers, meaning our physicians and allied health professionals Are also exhausted. And so the irony in this entire situation is we're about to go into this fall. We've already heard people talking about the triple demic of influenza, RSV and COVID. We're starting to see that impact on practices. They're already overwhelmed, exhausted and at a breaking point.
1: And then, from the consumer standpoint, they're just kind of there's like a fatigue of <laughs>
0: absolutely
1: of, of when is this going to end? You know, it doesn't seem like there's something happening, but it does seem like that there's just so much information and confusion out there. It just, I think, everybody's frustrated.
0: Agreed, and I I think healthcare is not unique in that regard, but. I think healthcare is probably, as a result of the pandemic, is really on the brink. And then add in, you mentioned the consumer's role in all of this, healthcare, we are just starting to see the impact of consumerism and consumer expectations on the patient care delivery model in healthcare, and we're still struggling on what does a consumer-friendly model at a time that our providers are exhausted and burnt out look like. And so having to navigate that, I mean, it really is a time of change in
1: healthcare. And it's one of those situations where other associations, you know, obviously touch a lot of different people, but your, your world is life or death like this. The stakes are the highest that they can be in anything. So how do you handle that as a leader to kind of manage all of the constituents in this chaotic, complex um, in, uh, environment that you're leading—you
0: know—that's a great question, Lee. I think the so it's gonna it sound a a little strange, but I think the best way to approach this is with rigorous empathy, meaning that there's an awareness that the stakes are incredibly high. Um, because we're navigating the business of healthcare, not healthcare itself. Um, the, it is the business consequences of life and death decisions, but we need to make sure that we're providing some business practice so that we can provide that life saving, um, care. And so it's with the empathy of meeting people where they are, not where we think they should be, that I think Leadership is the most effective right now. I think there's an acknowledgement that not just the people in healthcare, but everybody is exhausted and burnt out at this point in time. And so asking people for their discretionary effort without clear reasons why and without a break, you know, we we use the metaphor of We've been pushing, basically standing on the gas pedal for two years. And so we need to be able to pull our foot off a little and coast for a little and then push and kind of get back to a more nor- normal cadence, if you will, in the business domain. But I really think it is about empathy at this point in time. And um, what I talk about in my own organization is empathy with outcomes.
1: And how do you um, deal with the burnout of some of the medical professionals that are out there that have just said, okay, you know, two years, I enough is enough, you know, when is enough enough, you know, and I'm just, I'm done. And then how do you attract kind of this younger generation to take the baton and continue to fight the good fight?
0: Yeah, I think there's generational norms that Both help and hinder in this. So our baby boomer physicians who are on the cusp of retirement prior to COVID, COVID has kind of pushed them into strongly considering retirement. So it's not necessarily early retirement, but for those physician band between 60 and 70 that may have practiced for a couple extra years, they have been, they really have chosen uh, to retire probably a few years sooner than they would have. Um, the financial markets, you know, when the stock market was gaining 15 to 20% a year, that encouraged people to retire early. That has changed in the last six months. We're not quite seeing the mass exodus of retirement that we were, let's say, a year ago. Um, But the best way to look at how you navigate burnout is looking at what you can control. And a lot of burnout is based on lack of autonomy and lack of independence because we feel like things are being done to us or forced in situations. So from our perspective at MGMA, we're really looking at where are the domains that we can decrease the burden of uh, management operations that add to burnout to individuals. So I think there's a huge role in healthcare where we acknowledge that there's 15 to 30% waste in, in healthcare. There's a huge role in lessening the burden that is present, um, that in the management operation domain, kind of all the regulatory and insurance and things like that the duplication of things having the right uh, staff member do the right level of work when when we are effective at really looking at the workflows and management operations is when we see burnout lessen in, in medical practices
1: now are you seeing a trend in the right direction when it comes to using the, all of the data Uh, efficiently and effectively you know on one hand the data uh, has to be protected obviously from a privacy standpoint and then you also want to balance that with making uh, wise decisions with the information (laughs) that's out there that maybe can affect a community how how do you kind of uh, thread that needle in terms of managing the data efficiently and effectively and helping your your practice managers um, you know uh not get burnt out by this overwhelm and the uh, you know having to like you said kind of have duplication of efforts you know multiple times in a in a process
0: yeah I, so uh, so we're you know the days of practice managers have long gone we're now looking at practice executives that have really complex um, responsibilities and a much higher level, much more sophisticated executive. So do we use data? Absolutely. And we use it in ways that I think are really innovative um, and far different than we would have five years ago. I think the business and clinical systems have significantly improved over the past couple of years. I think one of the cardinal sins, though, that we are still – um, navigating is we like to add things, but we forget to subtract things. So we've added this tremendous muscle of data analytics and practice, uh, practice analytics, executive, um, really executive oversight of complex business entities. What we have not done is strip out the things that no longer serve us. So on one hand, we're really, MGM, we're really effective at looking at where we can apply data to really drive successful business outcomes. But in any practice, I think that we haven't really been effective at calling out those things that don't add value. And I think that's probably our next business opportunity as an association.
1: And that's, I mean, that's across the board and a lot of associations, a lot of industries, the pruning is the challenge, the stat, you know, getting rid of some of the status quo, um, you know, that's, that's tricky politically.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, I've been CEO for almost eight years. And I would say people fight much harder to keep things in place than, um, to to put new things in place. In other words, there's much more of an emotional sense of loss to eradicate something that's been longstanding than there is any type of emotional at- backlash to add new things to an organization. And I think that's also true in almost every industry. It's what it's it's what you know versus the unknown.
1: Right. That I mean that goes back to an individual human being. I think that's yes. how they feel as an individual. <laughs> <laughs> that their loss is more painful than you know a possible gain
0: exactly,
1: so now, uh what is kind of the most rewarding part of you leading this um mission is it um Is it something that you know when you started what you said eight years ago, is it how you imagined it to be
0: oh oh gosh, no, uh I don't think any leader if they're really honest says eight years later it it's what you thought. You know, um, I went into medicine over 30 years ago because I wanted to make an impact and I practiced for almost 19 years. And what I figured out for myself as an individual is that, that what I wanted to do is make impact on a larger scale. Um, the thing that has attracted me to MGMA and keeps me reengaged and re-energized is as time goes on, the scope, and the amplitude of our impact continues to increase. And that's, you know, when you ask me, um, is it what I thought it would be eight years ago? No, I think the the level of game that we're playing in right now is so much bigger than I ever imagined when I took this position. Um, and in a great way that we're making meaningful impact to a little over half of healthcare. I mean, and, and, and that's not me as the individual. That's, that's the organization and all the members and all the individuals, our vendors, our entire communities are making that impact. And to me, that is somewhat awe inspiring. Um, sometimes I f- try not to think about the scale of what we're doing because it becomes a little overwhelming.
1: Now, when the pandemic was in in its full swing, and things had you had to make kind of drastic moves. Yeah. did that propel you forward in a way that you think that that's that you're more optimistic about a future, or was it something that you're like, "Oh wow, this exposed some things that now we gotta you know I'm less optimistic that how you know now that as we're hopefully coming out of it, I know you were mentioning some other challenges, but hopefully yeah. the the really, really bad stuff is behind us. Are you more optimistic that that change uh, and disruption caused or or are you more cautious?
0: So let me put this, I think this says more about me than my organization. I love disruption. I love change. Um, And what I mean by that is that I've Oh, wait, when I was a management consultant, uh, one of the things I would talk about and in, in the books that I've written, I talk about that crisis is a time of imminent change. It doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation. The pandemic was a crisis. And the I would say the muscles that we were building at MGMA, the infrastructure that we had spent five years building, it was like the perfect timing, the perfect storm that we were able to execute at the onset of the pandemic. And so uh not to minimize anyone's suffering or pain because of the pandemic, nor the financial consequences that we're going to experience as a country for generations to come, but it was incredibly good for MG May. Uh, it was, we were able to execute against everything that we had been planning for years and years in a very high velocity, high quality way. Um, and it created new opportunities for us. So, um, not only am I optimistic, um, I think it, the number one thing that keeps me up at night as CEO of MGMA, uh, used to be what is our relevance, and now the thing that keeps me up is how do we continue to deliver on the promise that we made during COVID?
1: So it sounds like you were the perfect person to be leading the organization during that uh, crisis. Uh,
0: I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that. What I would say is um, during, during the First eight weeks of the crisis, medical practices shut down across the country and we were suffering. A lot of medical, it was forecasted that 60 to 70 percent of medical practices could have gone bankrupt had there not been uh, governmental intervention. So um I don't think there was an assessment of was I the right person? What I would say is we had everything um already underpinned that we could provide the real-time information. We have an amazing advocacy arm that was able to really communicate the needs of healthcare in a way that could be heard. Um, and so I think what I would say is I was proud to be the leader of an organization that was so influential during that time.
1: And then now moving forward, what are some of the initiatives that um, you're looking forward to implementing or that you've implemented that you're looking forward to kind of continue to grow?
0: Sure. I think one of the things that has come out of the pandemic, well, first of all, what I've talked about for the last three years is there is not, or two years, there's no trend in healthcare that showed up during the pandemic that wasn't present before the pandemic. But what happened is the velocity dramatically increased. So now what one of the things, and I mentioned it at the beginning of this interview is the rise of consumerism. We're definitely seeing the impact of consumerism in how individuals intersect with medical practice. And we see that as a massive opportunity to recreate uh, a patient care model that is more effective, more efficient, and much more, well, higher quality and higher satisfaction, both for the patient and the provider. So we view that as a massive opportunity. Number two, we're always looking at how we can decrease administrative burden. And as we look at how we can remove costs from the healthcare system, that administrative burden is really where we have our eyes fixated uh, to decrease costs within healthcare. And then the other thing, which is very counterintuitive for, um, for healthcare in particular, is we're looking at how do we socialize a business model that is not a zero sum game. So traditionally, when you look at how, and Lee, you mentioned insurance, insurance contracts at the top of this interview. How we look at insurance co- contracts is there's winners or losers. Now that we're moving into a much more value based care type, Compensation model for the future. How do we create win wins as opposed to winners and losers? And so uh, we're we're excited to be at the nexus of those conversations and really driving those outcomes for American
1: healthcare. Now, are you seeing young people uh, wanting to still be doctors and being involved in healthcare?
0: You know, there. Um, it was funny. We were seeing a trend prior to COVID with a decrease in applications to medical school. We've now seen that increase over the last two years. So I think particularly this Gen Z that's coming in is much more interested in being caregivers, whether that be allied health professionals or physicians, DOs, nurses, etc., that being said, I think their expectations of what it means are very different than, let's say, physicians of my generation. Um, and we're going to have to navigate those expectations as time goes on.
1: Are you finding that those younger people are looking more like an American uh, rather than just some subset of of what an American looks like?
0: They're uh, <laughs> talking to me about DEI. Absolutely. Um, and, and that trend in in medicine started about 20, 25 years ago. But I think medical schools are being much more thoughtful uh, to really look for candidates that reflect the communities they're going to serve.
1: So um, what do you need more of? How can we help as we move into 2023?
0: You know, I think, you know, my request is we're looking for um we're always looking to expand our audience. And what I mean by that are people who are aligned with what we're talking about. We want to talk with them. We want to share experiences. We want to learn from each other. So please feel free to reach out to our organization. Um, and then the other thing that I always encourage people who listen to me um, in interviews is my request at person to person is to really be better healthcare consumers. Uh, I think that's the next leg. Um, I think we, I mean, my generation, Gen X was socialized that you had health insurance and health insurance will take care of you. I think as more and more costs for healthcare are being shifted to the patient, the one thing we haven't done done very well is educate people on how to be good consumers and be good stewards of their uh, healthcare dollar. So my, my, uh, recommendation is to take that on. Um, I think it will really enrich not like, uh, I think it will I use the term enrich. I think it'll really enrich understanding and improve your relationship with your healthcare provider. But I also think it'll have a financial outcome that most people will appreciate.
1: Well, if somebody wants to learn more about MGMA, uh, what is the coordinates uh, to go there and maybe connect with uh, somebody on your team?
0: Absolutely. So you can reach us on our website at www.mgma.com and uh you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram at, and at @mgma.com.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you.
0: Thank you, Lee. I appreciate your time as well and great questions.
1: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.